With as many as four in five young people using captioning on TV, video accessibility has never been more important or harder to achieve. Three Play Media CEOs explain the challenges of scale, live and cost. Recent data from Stage Text in the UK show that 80% of 18 to 24 year olds use closed captioning while watching TV, even though they have no hearing disabilities. The explosive growth of the global market for video is contributing to the need for accessibility features like captioning and audio descriptions. In this interview with video accessibility company 3Play Media, co-CEO and founders Chris Antunes and Josh Miller discuss the challenges of adding video accessibility features. They cover the challenges of processing large libraries, captioning live events, and making audio narration more affordable. This is Colin Dixon with Endscreen Media, and I'm speaking with Chris Antunes and Josh Miller, who are the co-founders and co-CEOs of 3Play Media. Josh, Chris, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks. We're here to talk about accessibility of video. And in case you think this isn't important, well, it certainly is, and it is becoming more important in the world. Uh, there was a 2006 study, rather, by Ofcom in the UK that found about one in five UK adults were using closed captioning. And believe it or not, of that, 80% were not deaf or hearing impaired. So definitely something going on. And I think, uh, I think guys, you'll agree with all of the foreign content now that's being brought to many, many countries, uh, that that's probably much higher, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think when we, we started the company, we were constantly talking about how an accessible viewing experience was a better viewing experience. And it was giving optionality to the consumer to, to actually experience that content however they wanted to or however they needed to, whether it be because of a disability or because of a language barrier or they were distracted and doing other things. Uh, so we, we've always seen uh, accessible content as kind of uh, this more universal approach. We often talk about universal design, uh, but really creating an experience that anybody can enjoy. Right. So maybe before we jump into the full discussion, we should have a little primer on three play media. So uh, Chris, why don't you get us started with where did you where did you come from? Yeah, so we got started. It's, it's hard to believe, but you know, about 14 years ago, while we were at grad school at MIT, and we were presented with a really specific problem from a group um, called Open Courseware. So this was a group at MIT that was publishing lectures online for free, a, a predecessor to edX and Coursera and Udacity and these groups that came up after. And they were motivated by their funding and not specific um, you know, legal issue but all of their content that they published had to be accessible. And they quickly realized that if they use traditional methods to close caption all of that content, you know, the majority of their budget would have been absorbed. And so we were there, we had a connection to that group and kind of right place, right time. They asked us, you know, is there a better way? And we worked with uh, Professor Jim Glass in the computer science and artificial intelligence lab to examine ways to use speech recognition, natural language processing to solve that problem. And I'd say exuberance of youth, we thought that um, we'd solve it in an afternoon and speech recognition alone would be that solution and we'd be off to the races. And 
What we discovered is that speech recognition, uh, NLP, were a great place to start. And by leveraging those technologies and then combining it with um, sort of human review, we were able to dramatically reduce the cost while not reducing quality. And essentially, that was the, the kernel of inspiration, the beginning of a solution that worked for OCW that, you know, many years later, we've extended and obviously advanced significantly um, across all these verticals we now serve. So got our start in education, but, you know, really anywhere there's video at scale, you know, we, we have a solution. So obviously, natural language processing and LP, as you say, has come a long way since then. So, Josh, tell us about uh, tell us about three play today. Yeah, so today we really think about delivering quality at scale, uh, and and that means we're using technology in a bunch of different ways to uh, deliver accessible video, which means captioning, transcription, audio description, live captioning, um, and we find ways to really bring innovation to the conversation uh, with every new service we offer. Um, so we are using different elements of speech technology and natural language processing in many of the uh, different services we offer in different ways. And we even are using certain elements in our operational processes behind the scenes. So uh, there are a lot of different ways that we use technology to deliver the scale side of this. And that's, I think, one of the hardest parts to do with quality at scale, uh, because our view has been you need a human to achieve the quality more often than not. Um, so how can you use technology to optimize the human time and really remove pieces of the process that don't require a human or can be accomplished with, with technology, um, often speech technology of some sort, um, to deliver that, that scale component. And uh, obviously one of the tools that you're using there is AI and machine learning. Uh, that's, but as you say, that's just a one component, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get into this in more detail later, but, you know, really three plays secret sauce, so to speak, has been marrying technology and human professional expert work in, in a number of different areas. And it's really scaling that, that has really opened up this market. Um, and it's applying technology, like, like Josh said, in all these areas, but finding a way to teach and onboard and uh, place onto a, a marketplace thousands and thousands of, of trained resources to do that last mile of work. And that's really what gets us the quality we need. And to Josh's point, we're always looking at ways to innovate so that it's simpler and more efficient for that group to do that task. But that taking that from you know zero to thousands of contractors on our marketplace has been a big piece of this puzzle too. Now, I mentioned uh, since that 2006 study, I think things have really changed that the expectations of consumers have changed. And that's really been sparked by the massive growth, I think, in foreign content that we're seeing in it, that people are seeing in every region. And that, that's really changed the expectations of consumers. Right, Josh? That's exactly right. I think what we've seen with some of the OTT platforms, I think there, there are kind of two things that have happened. There is the expansion of legislation and specific lawsuits that have taken place. So we've seen you know, Netflix and all the other OTT platforms get uh, sent some some uh, legal notes of sorts and, and basically be forced to make their content accessible. But with them also going global, they also recognize that there's an opportunity to get more content across the world and set they've set a new standard for what is normal. 
And so it is, it is absolutely expected that a piece of high quality content be available in 10 different languages. Uh, the fact that businesses are holding events that get streamed out to 10 different countries, you know, they, for, for business purposes now, it, it is re- almost required that it be available in other, con- in other languages as well. So there are a lot of different use cases, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We're, it's, it's almost becoming table stakes that if you're, if you're a global business, that means you're, you're translating, if not dubbing, uh, into all, the, all your content so that it's available for everyone. And even on the core accessibility side, I think we've seen expectations shift too, right? Where, where we are shocked if we don't see that a piece of kind of enterprise content or media content is captioned or described in some cases, especially over the last two, three years as we've all moved uh, remote uh, and more of our work has been conducted virtually, those expectations have shifted dramatically. Um, even you know, employees of their own company. Now, if we think about some of the DEI issues and initiatives at the, at the corporate level, expect their businesses or their company's content internally to be completely inclusive and equitable. And that is a huge shift from what we saw you know, a decade ago where we'd really see this more reactively, right? Only if a, a lawsuit was served, would you think about these problems? I think that expectation shift has really motivated people to be proactive all over the board. So very clearly now, it's it's pretty much unacceptable to produce and provide premium content in the market as it stands today uh, without closed captioning, without audio descriptions, etc. But this is posing some really big challenges. One I can think of right off the bat is something that you mentioned, Josh, which is scale, right? It's just really difficult when you're bringing a new library to to get it closed captioned in all of the languages that you're looking for, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a real issue, especially as we get into the languages that they're just, it, it historically has not been the capacity in, in terms of human labor to actually get this level of work done. Um, so there are you know, definite squeezes in terms of capacity in certain languages, especially as some of these platforms all go to the same region to try to, to sell and, and we so we've seen some of that uh we see it especially in live content which is really fascinating uh, that there's more and more live content out there but there's not anywhere near the same growing level of live ca- captioning capacity in terms of the, the labor there so we view that as another opportunity to if we can bring innovation to the conversation in terms of how we onboard and train and support live captioners in the live captioning process uh, there's a lot that needs to get done there because more and more content's being streamed live today than ever before, uh, both in terms of the media uh, environment, but also in the enterprise as well. As Chris mentioned, this idea of being remote, there are virtual events, internal meetings that need to be captioned. Um, it's it's a very different ballgame from even three years ago. So there's just a really interesting conflict brewing that we see kind of playing out in real time because there is just so much more content out there uh, on the recorded side, on the live side. And, you know, think about this even in the podcast space. So not just video, but audio media too. There's just an enormous amount of content. So on the one hand, these groups that produce that content or are, uh, you know, involved in that ecosystem, you know, rightfully would say, you know, we'll, we'll be entirely out of budget. We can't afford to do this. And, and even the vendors are saying, we don't have enough people to do it, even if you wanted to pay for it. But on the other side, you'll have advocacy groups saying, you know, automation isn't good enough. We really need that quality, that personal 
touch that we require, you know, to have an equitable experience, you know, as, uh, you know, someone who is deaf or hard of hearing in the case of captioning. And so I think it's really interesting to see how this plays out. When is automation okay as a cost offset? When is it good enough? When is the sort of high quality expert, uh, you know, human touch required? It's a really interesting conversation that's brewing. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about the scalability of the solutions. Um, you have a pretty interesting solution for people who are doing a, 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 a very long event, right? Three hours. They could, they could actually split between human captioners and AR, AI. To, tell us about that. On the live side, that's something we're really excited about. So, so Josh mentioned, you know, from an innovation perspective, 3Play, we really don't get into a new market unless we think we can offer something new and novel. Live captioning has been around you know, since the seventies and broadcast, and we've ignored it largely until the last few years, but, you know, with this explosion and, and, you know, again, three play being uniquely good at scaling, um, we've gotten interested in it. And a component of that solution that we're offering that we're really excited about is the idea of, you know, ASR automated captioning running sort of in parallel with, uh, an event captioned by a professional. And so a customer can choose for a given event, they could say, I want professional captioning for this event. I want ASR only much cheaper for another event. And yeah, Colin, to your point, they could even make that decision for a given in, in, in a single event where maybe you want the first hour captioned professionally because your keynote speaker is speaking. But then you don't want to pay for the last two hours maybe where there is uh, questions from the audience. Um, and you'll let that run with ASR and that could be a more affordable solution for you. So there's a lot of fun mixing and matching you can do when you have these two technologies combined. Talking of challenges, audio description is very, very challenging and emerging need, I think, in the market. But that's that's a really t- one of the toughest things that you do, right, Josh? Yeah, that's one that we're really also you know, pretty proud of what we've done and excited about where it's going. Uh, a little bit like captioning was probably 10 years ago in terms of awareness and and implementation level. Uh, but it, it's coming around quite a bit. It, it is often cited as, as an issue in certain lawsuits that we're seeing. Um, and what it really comes down to is you have two components. You have a writer who needs to actually write in a very, very tight window between dialogue and capture all the relevant visual effects and actions that, that have to be described. But then you also have the audio creation of, of the voiceover. And so you've got two areas where there's potential for uh, better, more efficiency and, and more scale. Um, we've designed a process where we feel like we can write more efficiently and also use synthesized speech to provide immediate feedback to the writer, uh, where they are now able to actually uh, test and make sure they have the right amount of room to uh, get everything said. Um, but then that use of synthesized speech right alone, right there means more scale and there's optionality in terms of tone and accent and things like that. Uh, one of the things we're really excited about in the recent acquisition we did with CaptionMax is that we can now offer both synthesized speech and human speech. And just like Chris was saying with the you know optionality between a professional and automated live captioning, now if you've got a large library of content, you can switch off. You can say, I want you know, this back part of the back catalog to be captured or to be described with synthesized speech because it doesn't get quite as much viewership. But these really high profile titles, we want human description um, with, you know, voice artist narration uh, and really provide a, a complete library of described content in a way that's more budget friendly 
um, and more appropriate for the amount of usage it's getting. And think about with the audio description, there's, there's very distinct use cases out there, right? If you're producing uh, a big budget movie or a TV show, maybe you do want Morgan Freeman in the studio voiced over. You really think of that description track as part of your art. Right. It's embedded in the movie and it is critical that it's voiced by an actor, et cetera. But there's a huge segment of the market that uh, for things like product demos or product videos, like how to, you know, a Home Depot video or a Sephora video. How do you apply makeup in a certain way? These are 30 second videos, but massive scale all over the Internet. Right. Synthesized voice is perfect. Think about the overhead just to get an actor in the studio <laughs> to do a 30 second voiceover. It's just not tenable. Right. So we've been able to address um, a much, much larger segment of the market in, in you know, e-commerce and in corporate with the synthesized solution. Um, I, I tell you, I've been very surprised at the evolution of synthesized voices. It's getting kind of difficult to tell the difference between what's real and what's synthesized. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and honestly, the, the slight differences actually can be useful. You know, this is another example of if you if you actually think about audio description um, as a blind or low vision user, they're consuming the Internet all day with a screen reader. Right. So they're very accustomed to high speaking rate words per minute uh, and synthesized voice. because That's what the screen reader produces. And in some cases, we've heard that it's preferential to have synthesized voice because you can tell you can distinguish between the actors and the description. Right. Um, we think about it differently if you're not a, a blind or low vision consumer, but it's always good to kind of put yourself in your audience's shoes. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Um, what do you see happening with closed captioning, with, uh, with audio descriptions in both the near term and the longer term? So why don't we start with the near, near term? Josh, what, what's, what do you see as some of the innovations we're going to see in the next year or so? So I, I think it's some of the things we've already talked about a little bit in terms of just the, the scale issue and, and what happens with speech recognition and, and when is it acceptable, when is it not acceptable? Um, how do we address the, the live content in particular? Um, we're seeing it from a lot of uh, broadcasters. They're, they're trying to test speech recognition as a, as a solution to see if it can work for some of their content. Quite often the answer is not all of their, most of their content will not work with speech recognition, but maybe they have you know, some overnight content where it's okay. Uh, but seeing things that where we can we can improve the models for consistent speakers, uh, where it's a news program, you've got the same anchors over and over again. You can start to get to a place where it's it's pretty darn close because of of that perfect scenario of a yeah. single speaker who's trained to speak professionally, um, and kind of figuring out you know is, is this a place where maybe local stations can now have captions where they weren't even paying for captions before. I think that's a big part of this whole speech recognition component. It's not so much always replacing something that's more expensive. It's often providing a solution where there was nothing before. And I think understanding the differences is really important. I think this conversation can get adversarial too often and, yeah. and actually can trend binary too often. Um, you know, with groups saying the machines will never be good enough and uh, other people saying, of course, the machines are perfect. And the reality is it's much more nuanced. It's, it's much more situational. And what I'm excited to help participate in is this conversation around when is it right? When is it not? When does 
the cost-effective nature of it um, makes sense given the quality you'll get and when doesn't it. Um, and, you know, hopefully with our customers, we'll, we'll, you know, be in close partnership helping navigate that. Right. And, and to the longer term future, we have the specter of metaverse hanging out there, AR and VR uh, seem to be in constant development. Uh, what about captioning in those circumstances? So we, we've started to get involved in some conversations on that and, you know, we hope to be involved in setting some of the standards on that you know, down the road. Um, but it's a really difficult conversation to figure out what is what is the right experience uh, for captions or description in this AR VR experience. Um, you know, it's it's just such a different world where there is no nothing static. Right. So. What do you want your viewer to be looking at? Do you want the captions to move with them? Do you want the captions to be static in a certain place? Um, but it's something that has to get solved, right? So it's and so as, as difficult as it is, the last thing we want to do is say it's too hard, so we can't do it. We have to figure out something uh, that can be done, but it's it's a fascinating problem with lots of opinions already um, that uh, we we're we're excited to to tackle, but it's it's not obvious what the answer should be. And you have the same issues that we grapple with in video today in sort of non-AR, VR, or XR um, today, which is, you know, recorded versus live. So there's one solution that will make sense for a recorded, immersive, uh, you know, XR experience. And there's a whole other set of problems and challenges around uh, an immersive, a kind of metaverse uh, type live experience where you have, uh, you know, many, many actors potentially and you might have accessibility needs for all of them. And then how do you position those words in space? There's a lot of very interesting problems. Um, but like Josh said, uh, these conversations are preliminary and we're excited to be a part of them. Very good. And, and it sounds to me like uh, the need for uh, accessibility solutions in video looks to me to be increasing, not decreasing. And so if anybody out there is wondering if they should, it shouldn't be if, it's how and how quickly and when, right? That's exactly right. I totally agree with you. Very good. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you both. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Joss, for joining me. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back and we can talk about how things are developing. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. Thank you very much, both of you. This has been Colin Dixon with Endscreen Media. This podcast is a production of Endscreen Media, all rights reserved.